not so like, excited, you know, when I said that. In fact, the service is short. <laughs> um, Evergreen, at our church, we would, we would probably still do the Lord's Supper. Maybe for another 30 minutes. <laughs> it's about a lot. It feels like it's about a little over an hour. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah, every, every church is different. Every culture is different, right? Um, but my kids like the shorter, the shorter service, for sure. So... Um, you guys have the scriptures, go ahead and turn to, um, to Acts chapter 9. And all I do is click on this, right? Just like that. Oh, it's resetting, okay. We're going to be in Acts 9. Uh, and we're going to be looking specifically at the conversion of Saul. But I, I've titled my message that the, the power of sudden events. That's that's sort of the title for my on my message. So we're going to be at in Acts chapter nine. Let's uh, begin in verse one. And as the projector resets, it's fine. You know, you can listen along, and um, I'll definitely connect to the slides um, once the the, uh, the projector jumps up. So Acts nine, verse one. It says, "But Saul." Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, he went to the high priest and he asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no man. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days... He's, he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. I'll read the whole, the, whole, the whole passage. Now, there was a disciple there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarshish named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man and how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this morning. Uh, thank you for this, this, this chapel. Thank you for the saints that are here. God, thank you for this, this little corner of the world and the, the work they're doing from the, the family uh, movie nights to the way they're 
they're praying for the saints here and being willing to go help and uh, people that have, you know, fallen trees in their yard. God, I just thank you for the way this, the, this, the, the saints here care for people. Lord, I pray that you would uh, use the few words that I prepared to, um, to challenge, to convict us, to encourage us, to edify us, to maybe deepen our understanding uh, of, of this passage. Lord, and my, my prayer is it would be more of you and, and less of me. God, you must, you must increase. Uh, I must decrease. We all must decrease. We want our lives, Lord, to look like Christ. We don't want to just grow in knowledge of your word. There's, there's, there's a place to, for that. We want to also look like your son. So, Lord, I pray that you would, uh, you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so... One of the things you guys know I like to do, I, I tend to pretty, pretty, uh, be pretty interactive when I'm up here. I'll ask questions and hopefully to engage you guys. And so uh, that's kind of my style. Uh, if you're not used to it, well, you're going to get used to it a little bit. And if you don't want to answer the question, you don't have to answer the question. That's great. I won't, I won't, call, on, I won't you know, call on you. So, but my, my first question is to kind of get us thinking. As we think about this passage and what we're looking at, what, what is from what you know about the book of Acts? What would you say is the, sort of the big theme or the big purpose of the book of Acts? What's the, the, the overarching theme or, or the message? Just kind of shout it out. The birth of the church. The of the church. Yeah, tell me, sh share more. The first time the Holy Spirit indwells permanently. Okay, yeah. And then uh, the, gospel. the gospel is spread. Now, does the gospel, does it stay in Jerusalem? No, right? We know that it's the birth of the church, but it's also sort of this expansion and the, the growth of the church. Acts 1.8, this is not on your slides, but Acts 1.8 is a key verse that says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and then what? To the ends of the earth. And, that, and that's the movement that you see as you study and as you read the book of Acts. It begins in Jerusalem, but then there's this spreading and this expansion of the gospel to the ends of the earth. At that, to the ends of the earth. And so we see this growth happening. And so it's no surprise that as we read Acts chapter 9, we also see this sort of persecution emerge. It's funny, when you start doing good things for the Lord, that's sometimes when things start to get hard. I remember a story of a guy, he said, um, when they were, this was during World War II, he said he knew that they were flying into enemy territory, that they were heading in the right direction, is when they started to, to, to get the, the, the fire. They knew they were heading in the right course. I guess for some reason their navigation system wasn't working, but they knew they were heading on the right course when they encountered enemy fire. And that's it sometimes. When you're starting to do the, the, the work of the Lord, sometimes you encounter difficulties and you encounter, you encounter challenges. And so the church is growing, and then persecution arises. And Saul is kind of at the front end of this persecution. He's kind of the man leading the charge of this. And my, one, my first point that I want us to look at this, uh, this works, all right. <laughs> my first point that I want to look at this morning is we want to, I want to look at his destructive intentions. Destructive intentions. And so as we've read this entire passage, more specifically, as you look at verses 1 through 5, what um, words or what phrases kind of allude or hint at this destructive intention? So that's my, that's my question for, for us real quick. 
What are some of the phrases or words that speak to Saul's destructive intentions? Kind of shout them out. Murder. Murder, yeah. What else? What are the words or phrases? Threats. We got threats. We got murder. What else? Anyone belonging to the way. What is he going to do with anyone belonging to the way? Bring them bound, right? Where is he going to bring them bound to? Jerusalem. Jesus, if you look at in verse 5, when he's, he's actually he's speaking to, to Saul, what does he say? He says, who are you what? What word does he use? Persecuting. You see all these different phrases from still breathing threats to bring them bound to Jerusalem to even this phrase persecuting. I remember when I was a, a, a little kid, I'm adopted. So my adopted brother, he, was, he played basketball in Puerto Rico. He had come, he had come back to Brooklyn, and he was, he was staying with his mom. And my, uh, my adopted mom is Ada. And I remember I said something disrespectful to, to my adopted mom, Ada. I was a little kid, and, you know, sometimes you say stuff you shouldn't say. But I remember he was there, and I remember he did, like, he said, what did you say to my mom? And he got in my face, and he was, like, screaming at me. And, I'm, and he's a big dude. He's, like, 6'5", and I'm this little, you know, you know, scrawny little 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and I'm like, you know, I start to cry, and I start to, you know, and I run in my room, and I just remember that, that night, I was like, man, I'm going I'm to get him back. The way he made me feel, I felt hurt, I felt angry, I'm going to get him back. I'm like, you know what I'm going to do? In the morning, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, he has a rental car, I'm going to go stab his tires, and this is, this is what I'm, what's going through my mind. Yeah, some of you guys, some of you guys have thought like that before, too. Don't even, don't even front like it's just me, all right? So, I'm like, I had these like ideas and this sort of like, I'm just breathing. You can, you can just feel this, these threats like emerging in my, my mind. And, and I'm like, I'm going to do all these things. And I get up the next day and I totally forgot what I was going to, what I was going to do to him. But I was like, fume and I was angry. And I kind of, again, I'm just thinking about that story and I'm trying to make a connection. I wonder if that's how Paul was or Saul was, right? Was he, what was going on? Did he feel this anger? He obviously had some sort of passion to want to travel all the way to Damascus, which I'll talk about in a second. But he's going to, He's breathing threats and murder. The, the, the scripture says he wants to bring them bound to Jerusalem. What imagery comes to your mind when you hear that phrase, bring them bound to Jerusalem? What imagery comes to your mind? I think of chains. I think of like handcuffs or something. I don't know if they used that back in the day, but I, I think of something like that. Think about somebody coming inside here and, and, and grabbing somebody and bounding them up and bringing them out. Like Just think about how like disruptive that would be to a service. That would be crazy to see that happen. But this is what Saul's going to do. He's going to go into synagogues and he's going to bound up or bind up these people and bring them back to Jerusalem. The word persecuting that we see in this, this passage, it's the same word that Jesus used when he says, hey, I want you to love those that persecute you. Now Jesus is not just Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you kill, you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town. The Pharisees were doing this. Jesus was sending them prophets, right, to remind them and to call them to, to something greater. And he goes, these prophets that I'm sending you, you kill them. You flog them in your synagogue. You go from town to town 
and you persecute them. So it, it makes me wonder, was this like a foreshadowing? Like, was this a pattern of the Pharisees? Did they do this? I'm assuming they did. Because why? My man Saul in Acts 9, what is he doing? Where is he going? Where, 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 what's the city that he's heading to? Not to Jerusalem. Damascus. And so here's a question. Why, why Damascus? Why would Saul go to Damascus? It's 133 miles from Jerusalem. They had a large Jewish population. Some people estimate between 10 to 18,000 Christians lived there. Part of that because of the persecution that broke out in chapter 8. A lot of them fled to different parts of the world. Damascus was one place where many of the Christians fled. And it was a, a city that had a hub of vast commercial networks with far-flung lines of caravan trade reaching various parts of Eastern Europe. I have a, a, a graph or a map that I'm going to show real quick. You guys all see that? So if you, can you guys see where, this is where I, I, didn't, I didn't grow up taking phonics, so um, I'm going to jack up this word, but is it Tyree, babe? What is it? Tyree? Tire? Tire. There you go. All right. You took phonics growing up, right? All right. Anyways, I'm actually listening to a podcast about phonics and whole language approaches. Pretty interesting. Anyway, sorry. That was a, a random thing. But Damascus is kind of in the area of Ty Tyreer and Antioch. And you notice these oranges, orange and blue lines, these are caravan routes that take you to the eastern part of Europe and into, into the Middle East, which is part of Asia, and then all the way to the far east of China. And these are actually uh, routes where people would travel. And this is where, along these routes, is where Christianity would spread. Now this is kind of, yeah, in the, yeah these are, this is kind of along, along this route. So, um, and you know what's interesting, Paul, I think the point here that I'm trying to make is that I think Paul knew that if the new way of Christianity flourished in Damascus, it would quickly reach all these places. So Paul wasn't like, I just want to go to Damascus because I want to, I want to go on a little trip there. You know, I want to go on a ho the hotel and I want to hang out there. No, he knew that Damascus was a very strategic place. And if Christianity got, got a hold there, that it would, it would continue to spread. This dude is fanatical, right? Saul, I mean, to travel 133 miles, that's not like going down to New Haven, right? That's not going down to Killings Point or something like that. Like, that's going up to Boston. Think about how long does it take to drive to Boston from here? Three hours. Or how many, you said? Two and a half, three hours? Now, think about walking to Boston from here. I mean, that's the, that's the, that's the journey that, that, that Saul is taking. you got to have some passion. you got to really believe in this. In order to do that, you're not just going to go to Boston just to go, who would want to go to Boston? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> Boston's a great city. Just the Red Sox live there, you know, so um, are from there. Anyways, so, and it's funny, if you actually, not funny, it's interesting. If you look at the historical development of Christianity in the, in the first couple centuries, it's interesting how it develops. And I, I have a, just, this is some history. I, I love history. But it was in Asia that Christianity first became the official faith of an entire nation. When in 300 AD, 301 AD, the Armenian state adopted Christianity as its official religion. Did you guys know that? I just learned that recently. Armenia became the first state to
to declare Christianity as its religion. And that was in 300 AD. Up until 900 AD, there were more Christians living in Asia than in Europe. And most of the movement's spiritual and intellectual centers were similarly located in Asia. When we think of Asia, in my mind, I think of China. Right? It's not just China, that's part of Asia. But it's also the Middle East, it's Persia, Arabia, it's India. The church grew massively. That's, again, I'm fast forwarding. Did Saul know this? Was he a visionary? He saw this? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, you can make an opinion. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. I don't, I don't think so. But the point is that Damascus was very strategic. And Paul knew that if Christianity flourished in Damascus, it would reach the Eastern Europe. It would, it would, it would reach Asia. Okay? And so Paul, understanding this, he gets a permit and basically uh, given permission to extradite these Christians. His destructive intentions lead him on a 133-mile journey to Damascus. Again, he, he is determined. He is fanatic. Don't just take you know, my thoughts. Let's look at what he says um, in Acts 20, 26.11. Go ahead and turn there to Acts 26.11. Let's read this real quick. Twenty-six, eleven. it says, I, And I punished them often in all the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme, which is to speak evil, and in raging fury. Right, this is anger at another level. This is not I'm just angry. Like, no. Fury. In raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Saul, he has these destructive intentions. Go over to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Verse 13, he says, For you heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. I mean, think about this. Think about if we had somebody in this region who would try to destroy Branford Bible Chapel, violently try to destroy it. Saul was doing that. Saul had these destructive intentions. But Saul's destructive intentions comes face to face with my second point, which is divine intervention. And this is really, I would say, the, the big idea of this passage. As we read Acts chapter 9, the, the main idea here is that God jumps on the scene and God says, Hey, I know you have these destructive intentions. I know that you want to take a 133-mile trip. And I, want you, I know you're going to try to bring these Christians and bound them up and try to stop this. But let me, I'm going to step on the scene. And I'm going to, I'm going to de derail your plans. Acts 9, let's read verses 3 through 5. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. The group that Paul was traveling with, right, the, the other men, they heard the voice, but they, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't see what was going on. They stood there speechless. Saul's journey, his destructive intentions uh, come in contact with God. Divine intervention. 
And I think it's interesting that the Lord allows Saul to approach Damascus. He was pretty close to entering the city. And God jumps on the scene. And God derails his plan. He was almost at the finish line, in a sense, to, to seeing these plans uh, implemented. And just like that, divine intervention. God jumps in and says, you know what? Let me, let me derail your plans. Let me derail your mission. Because first of all, it's destructive. First of all, it isn't right. I mean, it's not like I'm just trying to bring a little bit of chaos. Like, no, I'm going to basically restrict people's freedom. I'm going to even seek to murder people. This is his intentions. Divine interventions. And it's interesting, you know, one of the things as I, as I process this passage, and, and this is more of a side tangent, it's really more of a question, a more of a personal question. I wouldn't say it's uh, the author's big idea here. It's just more of a, a reflective question that, uh, that came to my mind as I was processing this, this passage. And the question, it's, again, you can think about it, but here's the question. Are you open to letting God derail your missions and plans? And just maybe, we know for sure in this passage, Saul's plan wasn't aligned to what God wanted to do. It wasn't aligned to God's overall, it wasn't aligned to God's greater purpose. But just maybe the plans that we're making, are they aligned to the deep work that God wants to do in us and through us? Are you open to letting God derail your mission and your plans? And again, just maybe your plans are not really aligned to the deep work that God wants to do in you and through you. As Saul makes this, this journey to Damascus, this Jesus jumps on the scene. Jesus steps in, divine intervention. And this was something that happened suddenly. If you look at verse, look at verse, um, go back to the, look at verse 2. Sorry, excuse me. This happened suddenly, right? The sudden appearance of Jesus uh, began. Look, sorry, my bad. You know what it is? I'm not used to using this. <laughs> I'm just used to using my paper. So you guys don't need to know that, all that, all that information. But I'm like getting lost with this and this. So TMI, right? Too much information. All right. Look at verse 3. My bad. Verse 3 of Acts chapter 9. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and what? What does it say? And suddenly, a light from heaven shone around him. The sudden appearance of Jesus began a process where not only Saul would be transformed, we know that Saul is going to be converted. We see this. We read the entire passage. But it's not just him. It's a, it's a nation. It's a people. It's a region. It's eventually the globe. Like, God uses Saul, his passion, the destructive intentions. God takes that all and he uses him to further the gospel to, to, the, to the othermost parts of the world. Sudden events, they have the power and they have the potential to lead to transformation. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 2. It says, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. James, you talked about this. The day of Pentecost led to the believers being filled with the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues being manifested, and the conversion of 3,000 individuals. Suddenly, suddenly. Acts 16, 26. 
It says that suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds or chains were loosened or unfastened. Paul and Silas, they were in prison. It led to a midnight prayer and praise service. With their bonds being broken, this eventually led to what? Who was converted in this passage? The Philippian jailer. Right? Sudden events have the power and have the potential to begin a process to see God's deep, transformative work. I mean, this is what happened in Saul's life. Do you, do you think Saul knew that, hey, was Saul planning this? This wasn't part of his agenda, his, agenda, his itinerary. This wasn't on his Google calendar. He, it wasn't. But his journey, with his destructive intentions, comes in line with divine intervention. Jesus jumps on the scene and says, I'm going to stop this. Suddenly, it was a sudden event. And it began a, a process. God uses this. And Saul goes from Saul to what? To Paul. And he writes what? Most of the New Testament. He uses his passion and he takes it for, and he uses it for a different purpose. Let's look at Acts chapter 9. Go back to Acts chapter 9. Because Ananias is like, God, God, I ain't doing this. Like, I don't want to do this. I heard about this man. I heard how destructive he is, right? Let's look at verse, verse 10. There was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, hey, Ananias. He said, here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him. And I love verse 13. But <laughs> Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many. I didn't just hear from one person. I didn't get just one Facebook message, but I heard from many. Right? This was trending on Twitter. I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And he's here. He has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. And then verse 15. Really, I think this is, this is the key verse here of this passage. Verse 15. The Lord said to him, go. Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine. <laughs> think about that. Think about what just Saul just was Saul doing. We sang a song in the Lord's Supper um, about God's grace. And it, it reaches to like to the people you don't expect it to reach. I mean, this is this is it. This is it. For he go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias goes. And what happens? Saul, Saul's converted. Guys, you know this story. It's not new. But what I want to kind of get us to think about, and as I begin to kind of wrap up, all this happens suddenly. And the question that I want us to kind of wrestle with and think about, we're not going to discuss it. I'm not going to have you turn into small groups and share and respond to this question. But as you think back on your life, what might have been those sudden events that resulted in you seeing God's deep, 
transformative power. What might have been those sudden events that resulted in you seeing God's deep transformative power? We all have moments in our lives. We all have stories in our lives where things happen unexpectedly, when things happen suddenly. And sometimes in those moments, it doesn't happen for everybody, but sometimes in those moments, God is doing something deeper. God is doing something, something bigger. Remember when I was a, a little kid, I'll, I'll get a little personal here, eight years old, one summer night. It was actually in August, eight years old, so almost 29 years ago, almost 30 years ago. A little eight-year-old kid sitting in front of my, my stoop, my apartment building in the South Bronx. And I remember there was an argument that ensued between my older sister and my mother. So my older sister decided to call the cops. The cops came. They went upstairs. They handled whatever they were handling. I don't remember all the details. But as they were leading, they heard a yell. And so the cops rushed back upstairs. I'm a little eight-year-old kid kind of trying to figure out what's going on. But a few minutes later, my mom comes down the steps with my younger sister. And she tells me to run. If you're an eight-year-old kid and your mom tells you to run, what are you going to do? You're going to run. So I took up down the street, running. My little sister and my mom are behind me, and the, the cops are behind. I remember coming around a, a corner. There was a gas station. And I remember my, uh, my sister, she's kind of, for some reason, she got pushed to the side, and my mom gets tackled to the ground. She's resisting arrest. The cops uh, are beating her with their batons and trying to bring her down and subdue her. I mean, I remember that, that night as an eight-year-old kid, get, getting to the police precinct and seeing the black and blues that my mom had. I remember I kept running. She told me to run. I kept running. And eventually I ran down the street. I came around a corner and I got kind of, uh, I came into a dead end. I was trying to, trying to escape. And all this, this was happened suddenly. And as an eight-year-old kid, I remember getting whisked at the cops boxed me in with their car and they, one of them came out and they grabbed me and they put me into their car and that night at the age of eight was taken away and placed in the foster care system. I mean, this, this didn't happen over a two hour period. All this happened probably within 15, 10 minutes. This was sudden, sudden. And I remember bouncing around from various homes. But here's what I tell you. As I think back on that sudden event, I wouldn't be here today if that didn't happen. Because eventually I got placed with a single mother, a Christian lady who went to Evergreen Gospel Chapel. Some of you guys know her, Ada Carrasco. And that's where I learned about the, God's love for me. And that's where I learned all these different stories in the Bible. And that's where I went to camp. And that's where I met James and I met John and I met you guys here. I mean, that, that goes back to that summer night as an eight-year-old kid taken away, placing them. God, listen, God is doing something bigger and deeper. Right? He's taking little kids from the South Bronx and he's, he's doing something. And this message is not about me, so please don't, don't, mis, don't misinterpret that. But I just see a connection. I see a connection. God is in the process of taking Saul's and turning them into Paul's. Taking someone with their own plans and aligning them to a deeper purpose and work. He has a deeper work that he's doing. We may not see it all, but there's a deeper work that he's doing. What is he doing at this, at this chapel? What is he doing in your life? And I, I'll be honest with you, my heart, my desire, I, love, I just love to sit down with each one and just, and just ask that question one-on-one. -on -one. What is God doing? 
He's doing something. I mean, you showed up today for a reason. Not, hopefully not just to show face to your elders, right? <laughs> you showed up for a reason. And part of that reason, if I can, if I can uh, you know, assume or, or, or project a little bit, is you want to grow closer to the Lord. You just didn't come here because, oh, man, I just, it is what it is. No, there's something in you that desires to draw closer to the Lord and to look more like him. You wouldn't get up early to do that. I believe that's part of, the, that's part of what God is doing. What else is he doing? What's that deep transformative work that he wants to do in and in, in through in you, through you, and in this, this chapel, in this church here? What is he doing? I love this story of, of Saul. <laughs> right? It begins with his destructive intentions. It begins with him saying, hey, I'm going to travel all the way to Boston. And I'm going to try to bound, bound up these, these, these Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem. I'm going to try to stop this, this movement from growing. And God says, no, you're not. No, you're not. I'm going to jump on the scene. I'm going to jump on the scene. It's going to happen suddenly, but I'm going to take this sudden event, and I'm going, to, I'm going to use it for a far greater purpose than you ever imagined. What a beautiful, that's a beautiful story. And yet we know Acts is, the Acts in the early church, it wasn't, it wasn't without its issues and, and persecution. We know that when Nero would jump on the scene, maybe a few decades earlier, there would be a, an outbreak of persecution among the Christians. And it wouldn't stop there. If you look at church history in the early 200s, AD, 300s, there's, there's all these outbreak of persecution. But the church kept growing. The church kept growing. And part of that growth is because of a man named Saul. Because <laughs> of, of a man named Saul. Think about that. That's beautiful. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for um, your word and thank you so much for us to be able to look at a, a very simple story that we've all heard multiple times. Uh, but God, I thank you that you're in the process of turning Saul's into Paul. And Lord, uh, I pray for this church. I pray for the saints here. Um, I pray for their, their little corner of the world, the, the, the relational networks that they have, the people that they get to see on a day-to-day -day basis or week-to-week. -week. God, I pray that your love uh, would be uh, displayed both in what they say and what they do. God, there's a sign as they exit the, the church that says you're now entering to, into the mission field. And God, we are. We're entering into the mission field. Lord, help us to have eyes with compassion, to have hearts that are open to what you might be doing. Lord, who are the souls in this area? Lord, who are the people that need to, to hear the gospel? God, they need to hear the story of how you loved them, how you sent your son to, to die for them. Lord, be with us this Sunday on this summer, this summer day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.